This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Exvangelical, a show exploring the world inside and outside the evangelical subculture. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. It's been nearly two weeks, and I'm sorry about that. Um, The last two weeks have been filled to the brim with family stuff and work stuff. I'm starting a new position soon. You can DM me if you want to know the details about that. It's not really connected to the show at all, but I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, And my daughter got sick the past two days. I had slotted to produce and edit the show that I wanted to publish this week. So it's really just been a perfect storm of busyness. In lieu of of that new episode, I'm resurfacing another episode Uh, from the archive that I think is really well suited for this Easter season for those of you that may still be um, attending church. It is my conversation with Kyle Part uh, from episode eight. Throughout this conversation, Kyle and I talk about all our shared time uh, together at Christian College, but the real star of the show is when he begins to talk about what he calls the four pillars of evangelicalism and what happens when those pillars are shaken. Finally, he really gets cooking when he begins talking about penal substitutionary atonement theory and when that's no longer satisfactory. And then he discusses um, several other models of salvation that could be considered should one want to remain Christian but is not satisfied with the idea of God torturing his son. Anyway, (laughs) I love this conversation and I think of it often. Um, It is, you know... Penal substitutionary atonement theory doesn't just roll off the tongue, but you know it's uh, it's actually really engaging <laughs> throughout the conversation. So I hope you enjoyed as much as I did when I when I had this conversation with Kyle. As always, you can provide feedback or listener mail by emailing contact at exvangelicalpodcast.com. and you can follow the show across the web via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Anchor at exvangelicalpod. You can follow me on Twitter at brchastain. You can support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. Finally, please rate and review the show on iTunes and tell your friends if you if they're religiously disaffected or damaged or whatever it might be. If you think that this would um, hit the sweet spot for them and give them some insight into their life experience, I would love for you to pass this show along to them. All right, let's get into it. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. Today I have with me uh, my friend uh, once again from college. We had I, we had a great college, <laughs> despite um, some some stories that have surfaced from it. Um, I have with me my friend uh, Kyle Parton. He is the director at Epiphany Publishing. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, yeah, thank you so much. I, I'm I don't know. I'm beside myself. I'm so excited to be on this. And I'm I set these little goals. It, one is okay. I'm not going to say any bad words this time here. We're going to get through this because there's a slim chance my mom's going to listen to it. And so I'm, I'm making a list right now of the words I cannot say, and I'm just putting these on my monitor. Uh, okay, got it. I'm good. Okay. All right, cool. good. Okay, just just to keep that in, keep that in your sight, and we'll, we'll be all right. <laughs> I'll guide you through. <laughs> yeah. And no, you would be – this is so fitting. So I'm wearing a shirt right now that – it was probably the last um, pa- 
powerfully evangelical church we went to. It's like we went in the door, my wife and I, and they're like, put a bag of goodies in our hand. I got a T-shirt out of it. I got a keychain. And it's like about $40 worth of stuff. And it, <laughs> it, and I'm just like, you could have fed people. or I don't know. So I just thought it's fitting. I'm just wearing this shirt. <laughs> I guess I won't say the church name, but um, I'm ready to go, man. I'm so ready. There you go. Did the church have a coffee shop inside? It, it did. It was okay. nice. I mean, yeah, I'll just, yeah. And then they could do some cappuccino art on top of their on on top of their, or some foam there, art. Foam art's the right term. There, foam art. On... Foam art. You, you're not gonna paint a caricature of it. That is not true. So whatever is in your head, it was there. And I'm just. I mean, hey, it's easy to throw stones, but um, it struck me as. <laughs> that is apropos for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's get a little bit of background about you to get things started, Kyle. Um, you, uh, to my knowledge, you grew up com- uh, right around the Kokomo area in Indiana, correct? Yeah, I'm I'm a Hoosier. Um, and if not for some of the adventures I went on, I guess in the Marine Corps, I probably would have stayed. Um, right, you know, right in the Bible Belt, right in the buckle. Um, yeah, Kokomo, Indiana, cornfields, the whole the whole bit. Um, it, it was legit Hoosier experience. So, what was that like for you? Me, um, so I mean, I'm trying to think of like an interesting way to describe it, and there's there's probably not anything. Um, <laughs> I mean, Kokomo is if you've got the sports thing going for you, all right, you're in. I guess there's like logistics, transportation, that type of thing. Um, I probably in response to the boredom i like plunged just face and soul first into you know the youth group culture um in, into scripture I, I can say um and i mean i, I was <laughs> this is going to come out sooner or later so let's just put it out there i was a really well-adjusted youth i mean totally emotionally regulated totally balanced um and never was extreme about anything and so um you know i i went in pretty hard into the the evangelical subculture um you know that term i couldn't have told you what that term means um i think i know now what it means maybe i don't um but that you know so my childhood was pretty marked by my picture bible um by you know loving parents oh my gosh loving family I can't think of anything else they could have done to like, you know, do it right, quote, right, um, to raise me right. And so good, a a positive upbringing. Um, I couldn't ask for anything, you know, more nurturing, I suppose. So you, you mentioned that you got really into youth group culture and you had, was that more, was that a um, sort of personal impulse? that you had or was it was it encouraged by your family i always i always find that part interesting as well yeah um so yeah i I guess i should say i know behind the scenes it was encouraged by my family well facilitated um you know my dad was just this pillar um of industriousness and like faith and action um and so i guess i was i was primed towards you know uh, a religious outlook and a relationship with god um, and the whole family was that way. But that being said, I mean, I, I have, I don't know, man, I'm a mystic. Like there's always been something in me that has drawn me towards 
uh, God. And I could give you a dozen different terms for that and what that process looks like. But um, no, it was just in the cards for me. Um, there's something in my mind and in my heart that has always pulled me to explore divinity. Um, and yeah, so a little bit of a family thing pulling me there, but also, uh, I mean, it's, it's just in my genes. It's yeah. my, yeah, it's me. I can, I can, I can empathize with that for sure. I, I was very similar. I, well, I yeah. also grew up in a similar sort of environment. I grew up in, yeah. Crop, in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Um, so <laughs> in also just central Indiana. Um, and you know, not, I don't know. Central Indiana to me is interesting. Like Northern Indiana has the pull of Chicago. Um, yeah. and like it gets a, takes things from for its culture from Chicago and then my sure. <laughs> my my family that lives near near Louisville like the, they call the area Kentuckiana I mean that's hey, like <laughs> hey, hey, what? okay <laughs> so and they all have southern accents and it's great and you know um and then other pe- other parts of the city pull from Cincinnati but central yeah. Indiana is just kind of this like vacuum <laughs> it's just it's just a it's just the home, the heartland and uh so yeah, I mean, my family, yeah. <laughs> my family was a, was a, a great family to grow up in, and like uh, we went on every year. We would, my parents, um, would use their vacation time every summer to uh, take us all, take our whole family, and this was part of what our church did. Is they took entire families to uh, an area in South Carolina, um, just outside of uh, Charleston. Yeah. And we'd build homes for people in need. And oh, that was wow. like super formative. I mean, I started going on it when I was five and I went on it until yeah. I was like 14 or 15. Um, yeah. It was, it was like a, a major thing, but I also had, I also had those sort of you know, like religious compulsions that yeah. uh, there, there was an inner drive that like sustained through those, through that time. I mean that was very formative and everything else involved in church going and everything, but there's also very much a an inner drive um, to kind of explore those sorts of questions. So yeah, so that kept you going all through uh, that inner drive. Did it keep you going all through middle school, high school, all those sorts of phases uh, of your life? Yeah, those those wonderfully balanced phases of my life. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it did. I mean, if anything, it was kind of the pillar of my identity, um, at least in my own mind, I guess. And I, you know, just like thinking through kind of, again, again to say the pillars of evangelical ideals, what those are, um, man, I I was like the paragon of the evangelical kind of champion where I, you talk about about evangelism or like reading scriptures and like a high view of scriptures that that was my childhood i used to go i was thinking about this the other day <laughs> i used to go to walmart and with select friends we would do this and i would go to the romance novel section you know that the forbidden lusty isle of you know, <laughs> shirtless fabios and i <laughs> yeah. would i would hide a bible behind these romance novels and I would kind of just play it cool. Like, wait, you know, oh, I'm just, I'm just looking and I'm just 14 year old kid looking at romance novels. And then when some unsuspecting woman would come by, I just straight be like, do you like love stories? 
and they, you know, they're like, why are you talking to me? This is Indiana. <laughs> we don't talk to people. And I'd be like, because if you like love stories and then I'd slide the books away to show the Bible and then this, in this like a moment, you know, I'd be like, if you like love stories, let me tell you about the greatest love story. And like, I just did this stuff for fun. What, what normal kid does this? Um, and I did it for years. I mean, the ideas I came up with, um, bless past version of myself. I mean, like I, I just, <laughs> this is what I did for fun. Um, and, and to be fair, I think that makes God happy. Um, I don't know what God would look at something like that and not be like, that's so stinking cute. Um, but that's no, that's what I did. And it took me all the way through, um, yeah, middle school, high school. Um, and it's not until I guess, uh, my, prefrontal cortex developed fully towards late high school, uh, college that I really started getting into philosophy and, uh, you know, nothing hit the brakes on that passion for God until, um, well, I guess I did, my brain did. Um, <laughs> and not that it's either or, but there's just, there's a, there's a certain tension that I imagine you know about, um, when you start getting into the philosophic literature out there. Um, so no, that, that carried me through, um, wonderfully and then um did that factor into where you decided to go to college we met at college which is a, a christian yeah. college right 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 in that area so yeah um that factored into where you decided to look for schools um yeah that i mean in retrospect it's so funny to be like why did i go to that school um there was almost, and I mean, I guess I'm being cynical towards myself here, but there was almost like a, a solid stream of people from my church going there. And it's like a riptide, you know, where it's like, oh, well, if person A you respect goes there and person B you respect goes there, there's a current, you know. And so, of course, it's God's will that you would go there. Why wouldn't it be? And I think that was the only school I, uh, I applied to. Um, and the plan, the capital P plan, um, was ministry at least to to a certain degree, um, and if that was going to be music ministry or if that was going to be full blown preaching, who knows now. Um, but that's what led me to the evangelical institution. Um, and so yeah, I went. I you know I explored music, music theory, that type of thing, and then thought you know let's pair that up nicely with. Um, what I thought was like a theology degree, um, philosophy, world religions. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert for all those high school <laughs> seniors out there. That's not the same thing. Um, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to spoil that for people, but uh, it's better you hear it from me now than you know, discover it when you're reading David Hume. Um, I know. So that was the plan was go there, get the ministry thing going on. Um, and that, that worked for a bit, I think. Um, and then it just, you know, it gets fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there. The story is so clear cut up to that point. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, it took me, took me there to the institution of which I guess we do not name. Uh, we can, I, I honestly, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, what? it's honestly like a gag at this point. <laughs> I'm well, sick. I'm not going to be the one to let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm just going to keep the roots going cuz that's totally that's fine. fine so. It's really not that hard to figure out. <laughs> Trust yeah, me. Yeah. 
<laughs> just just look in the area that the areas that we're mentioning. There's, there's yeah. <laughs> but I like the mystique as well. It's like yeah. Is this what's this like? Oh, yeah. Or was this like <laughs> it, I don't know. It could be anywhere. Could be I anywhere. So many, so many schools have Christian roots. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. So, anyways, yeah. I honestly, it's it's pretty much a gag at this point. Yeah. But uh, but it's kind of fun to keep it going. <laughs> yeah. That, no. Well, I'm uh, participating. And my so now it's like a choose your own adventure. It's like so I can go back and and kind of retrospectively interpret this stuff a few different ways, but. Yeah. Here's what I know to be true about Kyle Parton, um, based on historical evidence. The rest is open to speculation, I guess. Um, I got in, you know, you get through your freshman year, your, your sophomore year maybe. You get the sophomore kind of enlightenment set upon you where you realize that, oh my gosh, you know, everything I believed is only a certain paradigm and I don't know what's true anymore. Um, and, and I started having to I mean, it's the standard issue crisis of faith where you realize that, like, I was raised uh, spiritually in a very specific set of ideas, very rigid evangelical kind of framework, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not, you know, judging myself, I guess. Um, but as that tension started building, um, 9-11 happened, and one of my best friends in the world um, was you know, in the mix, I think he was in Iraq right around that time. Um, and, and he almost died. He was like, he took a couple hard shots and, uh, and, you know, I got blown up and, and it just, I don't know, it punched me in the soul. Um, and it suddenly kind of, it, it made me think, you know what, like for all the philosophic and theological anxieties that are building now, maybe, maybe I can like take a hiatus um, and shelf some of the, the stuff and I don't know, join the Marine Corps. <laughs> there, there are lots of ways to reconcile um, doubt. And one of them, it's not the only one, but one of them is to just take 10 years and go join the Marine Corps. Um, and there are lots of other options, but um, so that's what I did. Um, I made it through the majority of my college their um my college experience with some degree of faith intact um but again when when you don't know that what you have is a paradigm and, and then that paradigm crumbles it, it sure feels like you lost your faith you don't realize that you lost a certain expression of your faith or a certain model of salvation no, it feels like the bottom fell out. Um, and I lived for years with the fear of damnation. Um, and yes, war didn't really help that much either. But um, and so, yeah, I um, things got bad enough for my own faith that I was like, let's let's take a little breaky poo um, and join the Marine Corps, which I can explain more. It's not like I just threw a dart at all vocations in the world and came up with the most unbalanced one to fit my personality um but yeah that's so that's where the plot twist for me first took over i suppose yeah and that's a that's a pretty big swerve um 
<laughs> no, I'm <laughs> in retrospect, like, yeah, it is like <laughs> uh, I, I mean, uh, so a little bit of personal history. Um, it was my sophomore year, I think it may have been your freshman year. Um, yeah. we lived across the hall from each other in a That's dorm, right. and uh, and I knew you as this this guy with a very ambitious double major. Uh, you had honestly, you had a music composition major, which I knew a handful of music majors, and they were. I they were worked to the bone, and then yeah. you also tackled religion and philosophy, which um, yeah. my roommate two out of the four years, um, besides some dalliances with some other majors, ended up being um, a religion and philosophy major. And yeah. so, yeah, like, yeah. even even though, uh, even though I that wasn't my major, I there were enough people within my orbit that I knew. Um, from both of those things that it was a very, a very heavy load. And that there, here's this very cerebral, very kind man, uh, <laughs> Kyle Parton. And then learning that you had decided to enroll in the Marines. I, I, um, I didn't, and I don't know if this is out of turn, but I didn't see that coming. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like, and I, I know we weren't like, we we at, at, we we knew each other well. I I would like to say, but yeah. you know, I I definitely wasn't part of any sort of discussion where you any sort of like college discussion <laughs> like burning the midnight midnight oil where you're where you're you know like laboring over this decision. Um, yeah. so I learned about it after the fact. Um, and you know, like it definitely uh drove the point home when I attended uh, your wedding and you were in your yeah. full regalia and it was wonderful, <laughs> you know, but it was just like a, it was like a total unexpected thing. Um, so yeah. because of the, the way you frame people in your head and you know, right. you know how that goes. You just have an idea of someone. Um, you don't, you don't know their entire story. You don't know all of that, but, um, right. but that was my external perspective. Um, but, the way you know you you've kind of described it since then, even with our, uh, our us leading up to this discussion, you mentioned that one kind of through line there is that it was an idea of service, and you yeah. uh, that kind of compelled you from a possible ministry that as your as your ideas about faith changed and um, I believe you said like your paradigm began to crumble a bit that didn't seem to be the right fit for you at the time. And then you, but you parlayed that idea of service into a completely different sort of service. Um, yeah. so, um, yeah, definitely. I definitely want to unpack that a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I, I will, I will leave it up to you for, for where you want to start with that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the danger is like, I, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Like I, I'm, I've done enough work to like kind of face my own demons that now I'm completely casual on talking about them. And sometimes people uh, underestimate that and they're like, ask me weird questions. I'm like, oh, I'm going to give you weird answers about <laughs> war if you, if you want to ask me weird questions. Um, I'm not going to get shocked by it. No. Um, but no, that's, yeah. So maybe some other background I had thought, <laughs> this is amazing. Um, I had thought about, uh, joined the Marine Corps in high school, and it's like it's something like forty percent of the males in my graduating class joined the Marine Corps. It's some amazing number. Wow, that is like crazy. You know, when the when the bug kind of gets you, 
Um, oh boy, it's got you. And um, so I I was not immune to the bug. Um, and let's let's be real, the Marine Corps has an amazing propaganda machine. I mean, absolutely amazing. And they know how to appeal to all different types of people. Um, so the hooks were in there. But it was like, you know what? <sighs> Ministry is at the for- forefront of my mind. Let's do this. Go to college. Pursue the ministry thing. If it doesn't work out or whatever, I, I can revisit the Marine Corps deal. Um, if, you know, but if all goes well, then, hey, you know, I'm going to follow the path that God leads me. Um, so it's not... You know, that was a lot of internal back and forth for myself, but it's not completely out of nowhere. Um, although usually that's the way the Marine Corps is. It's like someone just comes home, like my brother-in-law. They they come home and they're like, I joined the Marine Corps. And, you know, the parents are like, I, is, is, the Peace Corps? The, the, the Peace Corps? <laughs> you did what? And it's like, no, no, I'm shipping out tomorrow. It's just the way, <laughs> I don't know. It's the way it works. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. so what was going on in the head of, of me back then? I, I know I can tell you I've always had, I don't know how else to put it, I guess a pastoral orientation. Um, I've, I care about people um, in a way that I guess I only see pastors do. And I'm not saying I'm a pastor material or something like that, but I, I have that orientation. And that's never gone away. Um, and so... There is a bit of compatibility in terms of like, you know, leading service members. Um, and the way I looked at it, I guess, is like, all right, I can't lay out 10 reasons why I want to do this, why I want to join. I can tell you for a fact that I will regret this for the rest of my life if I don't get in on this now. I knew it was going to be a significant page in America's history. I wanted to be a part of it. Um, and it was like, you know what, these guys, though, these Marines... These like testosterone fueled danger to self and other Marines out there, they need people to look after them. And and maybe mm-hmm. I was rationalizing it, but it was like, no, you know what I'm in? Like, yeah, it's a different clerical color, but it's still service. Um and so that's what I did. It jumped in, did ten years. Um yeah, right right after marrying my, my beautiful wife. Um and yeah, so it translates to a degree, um, it was also just an amazing sabbatical away from the crisis of faith I was having, um, and it, it it did more for me than I can ever describe. If nothing else, it just threw me into a global culture. It threw me into direct contact with, I don't know, Islamic fundamentalism. It threw me into different expressions of life and faith, and it got me out of Indiana. I mean, I don't know. There's there are a dozen perks to it. Um, there are the dents, you know, that it put in me too, um, which is less about the Marine Corps and more about war, I guess, um, or just dents I put in myself. Um, but yeah, that <laughs> that was the plot twist of it all <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, w- well, let's do this choose your own adventure style. We can either yeah, go, yeah. <laughs> we can we can either go back and kind of explore, um, the sort of issue the sort of issues you faced, um, in addressing your evangelical framework, your paradigm that that you mentioned started to change in uh, in college, 
yeah. and kind of go back, step back a little bit chronologically, or we can go forward and, and talk a little bit about your, your time. I can, um, we can talk a little bit about your time in, uh, at war, uh, in the Marines and how that sort of exposure began to give you more insight into your own past. Um, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about all of this in the present, so it's really, it's really up to you about the, the best way you think you'd like to frame those sorts of things. Sure. Uh, but I, what I'd like to do is kind of, um, get from you a little bit about where you saw, let's call them shortcomings or yeah. things oh, that yeah, you, yeah. things that you felt were no longer satisfactory explanations for the way you saw the world yeah. um, within evangelicalism and the evangelicalism you were being taught and the evangelicalism yep. you believed and participated in. Um, and then how that sort of began to, that, that sort of change continued through your time in, uh, in the Marines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm sure there's a way to weave this all together beautifully. Um, so let's fire one way into the future, like tell the whole Marine Corps story in 60 seconds, and then we can kind of circle back and, and weave things together as need be. Sure. And um, also, um, this could absolutely be a great time to kind of talk a little bit more generally about what evangelicalism is, is as well, just kind of what that what that might mean and how you frame that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, that's a big thing I want to do as well is, um, I mean, these are conversations I, I try with, with some, I don't know, with some tech, sometimes less than other times. Um, I try to have these conversations with people and it's like, you get in sometimes five, 10 minutes into the conversation. And a lot of times it's like, okay, hold on, wait, can we back up? Cause I'm not sure I know what you mean when you say evangelical. Because the way you're describing it is just it's like Christian stuff. You're just talking about the Bible and the cross, and uh, and that's just Christianity. It's like okay, so this is a great opportunity to kind of spell that out. Um, I'm for sure the least academic and the least intellectually sophisticated person you've had on this show so far, and so I'd love <laughs> to do it from like the lay, just like you know, the brothers and sisters and moms and dads out there. What does this even mean? Why? what beef does that Blake Chastain guy have against it? Uh, um, and, and what does that look like, you know, afterwards? What is post-evangelical faith? What in the world does that even mean? Um, yeah, let's, that'd be good. Um, All right, so, yeah, so let's let's start there, and let's kind of talk about that, and then talk about your, um, talk about, talk about what that is, talk about uh, your time in the Marines, and then we'll circle back to, kind of piecing together how things started to crumble a little bit and then yeah. how you re how you pieced things back together, how you moved forward yeah. through through the Marines and ever since. So Yeah. Okay. So the way I mean in my twisted brain, the way I look at it is there's probably three meaningful uh aspects of e the evangelical worldview that you can start to define it um and, and that's one is a propositional sense. What are the things you have to actually do and believe to be a card carrying evangelical? Okay, that's one. Um, the second is like a cultural sense where there are some fuzzier, less, um, less 
theological aspects that still weave themselves into what it means to be an evangelical. Um, and then there are even some developmental aspects that I think, I don't hear a lot of people talk about this, but in terms of developmental psychology or any of developmental sciences, there are a few perspectives you can take to look at um, what has to happen developmentally to be a functional evangelical and what has to happen for someone to move on out of the evangelical kind of worldview. A few developmental things have to happen. You've got to hit a few criteria, which could be fun to talk about here. Um, but the so the second one, the cultural aspect, this is the trickiest part of it. Um, and I hate, <laughs> I, I wish I could think of another analogy, but evangelical thought can manifest in the same way racism can manifest. Hear me out. Uh, I'm not saying they're <laughs> comparable. I'm saying they can manifest socioculturally in similar ways. And that's this. So there are certain beliefs you have to have to be an evangelical in the same way. There are people who, like propositionally, believe that race A is superior to race B. You know, you're an active racist if you, um, you know, if you embrace these things. Um, and, and so, what gets tricky though is there's a whole other element of racism that doesn't really have to do with what you think about Native Americans or Germans or African Americans. It's not about like who's superior. It's a systemic issue. There are manifestations of that thinking that over time have influenced the system. Um, and, in, and if you're born into a place that is naturally privileged from those kind of influences, you're not going to see it. I mean, for me, I'm just like demographically, there, there's nothing interesting about me at all. I'm this white, male, middle class, taxpaying citizen that all my life has enjoyed some degree of white privilege. And it's not until mid-college or late college, maybe even after college, that I even saw that second form of what racism is, um, where it's like, no, 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 nobody. Look around you. You are benefiting from these ideas that have slowly been planted and germinated in our culture. The problem is you have to look for it to see it if you're one who uh, benefits from it. You know, because I say, oh, I, I don't believe that white people are superior to whatever. I must not be a racist. But no, no, there's a cultural aspect to it, too. So parallel, there are evangelical kind of propositions you have to affirm. There's also kind of an evangelical manifestation in culture that if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see. And if you were raised in it, it's sure as heck going to be normal for you. Um, probably three things. One is the patriarchy. You know, go patriarchy. You're going to naturally privilege the role of the male over the female. Um, and just read Paul, right? You know, I'm just doing what the Bible says. There's some sexism in there. You know, watch watch your blood pressure whenever a feminist talks. You know, if your blood pressure goes up, um, you've probably got some evangelical kind of cultural influences that you need to work through. Um, <laughs> the third one is just generically conservatism you know it, whenever you can be conservative you should be conservative to be conservative is to be holy that is to be safe these are evangelical ideas although you might not ever affirm them or say yeah yeah i read that in the bible um and it's it's there that you start to see the um 
the kind of devious entanglement of the Republican Party and the evangelical movement, um, which, you know, you've, you've pretty well injured that horse, if not <laughs> to Dante's Inferno already. So I, I won't kick it too much, but it's there. And, and if you don't look for it, you won't see it. Um, so to connect all of this, the cultural aspects of it, I had, yeah, I'd inherited some of this stuff. What the Marine Corps did was propel me into a completely other culture. So it was like purging a lot of the ideas that I had grown up embracing. Um, it, not just ideas, but it's also like it threw me into a place where I was the minority. I mean, for a long time, we either lived in Texas or California, or, or I was in Iraq or Afghanistan, where you being a white guy there, uh, you know, you're you're not the same kind of privilege that you have here in Indiana or something. Um, and that was amazing for me. That was m much overdue. Um, and so what deployments, what the whole Marine Corps experience did for me was give me a much more global context, kind of throw some smelling salts in my face about the cultural um, ideas I had inherited that are so prevalent in the evangelical enterprise, I guess. Um, and it's like, th those didn't flesh out per se, but I was aware of them suddenly. Um, and that let me kind of respond to them where in the past they were just, they were just assumptions, you know, oh, yeah, women naturally should be subservient to men. I mean, that's just, it's just the Bible. I'm not interpreting it. I'm just telling you what it's saying. Right. It's my, yeah, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I'll weave back and forth in that, but that's, to me, there's a cultural aspect of evangelical thought that manifests as well. I'm just hoping that made sense. What do you think? I mean, is that something you see as well? I think you did a great job really summarizing a lot of the, the big, um, big threads, the, a lot of the patterns and everything that, that happened yeah. through, throughout evangelicalism. Uh, I mean, patriarchy is absolutely there, uh, absolutely there in so many insidious ways. Um, yeah, the cultural stuff, it's really very, um, very entrenched, especially generationally. If, if someone grew up evangelical and I'm complete and total side note, I'm really <laughs> doubting my pronunci pronunciation of evangelical. Everybody says evangelical. <laughs> no, you be you. I'm going don't to be you me. Don't be influenced. <laughs> don't, you, don't you do it. You're the one with like four history degrees. And like, you, you just You're giving me way too much straight. credit. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to. Anyways, um, so, so yeah, and the cultural, the cultural stuff is very insidious and, uh, and in so many weird, weird ways, either through, um, either through music or yeah. your own cloistered bookstores, all these different avenues for, for that. I think, I think you did a, a great job really, uh, really summarizing that. Um, and there's a lot that just completely rings true. Um, I'm in, um, what, man, I heard a term just like rousing agreement with you like yeah. like i yeah. <laughs> i just i just agree with you very much um cool. <laughs> so okay. um so yeah well, and and that one's still that's hard for people to see or let's just be real if you have no interest in seeing that well the conversation's pretty much over um you know you're not going to see it um and that 
sweat so hard is you have to look for it, like any bias or like any privilege. You yeah. have to look for it. And so really, you have to have a reason to look for it. Yeah. Well, if it's working, why would you want to mess around with that at all? Um, yeah. Um, and one of my favorite one of my favorite anecdotes from college uh, was I think I was in a New Testament um, class and the professor uh, asked us to look through the window. And he said, yeah. he said, uh, describe what you see when you look out the window. And so we all start looking out and we see trees and a sidewalk yeah. and some cars in a parking lot that's just out uh, at the end of the vision of through this window. It wasn't a very glamorous classroom. Um, and then he says, very few people see, say that they see glass. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then he starts to say that no matter who you are, you have an original perception of things. And that's basically yeah. your, that's basically your natural vision. And then throughout life, as your view of the world and, and yourself changes, you have the glass becomes corrective lenses. Right. It becomes the thing yeah. that, but, but initially when, when you're brand new, when you're a kid, you you don't see that. You're like a fish in water. You don't know you're in water. You just you're just right. yeah. swimming because then that's what you do. Um, yeah. And then from there, like if you're introspective, if you if if you investigate things, and you might the the benefit of being human is that you can become aware of your surroundings. Yeah. Uh, right. And that includes your mental your mental and intellectual surroundings, which, yeah, which is great and becomes a very fruitful exercise, but can also result in a lot of pain. Oh yeah. So that's, <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm very, I'm very fascinated with the idea of, um, of like the, of the, the break or of the, like of the idea of like a crisis, um, yeah. and, and how that, really can change and trans transform someone. Um, so you sort of alluded to, um, your experience in college and then throughout, uh, the Marine Corps and, and ever since, uh, what, what was there an initial sort of catalyst that kind of propelled you on that, on, on that part of your understanding of your faith and of your philosophy of things? Yeah. Um, see, and I wish there was one, like one smoking gun, you know, like one thing you could point back and be like, oh, that, that one conversation with that professor just, just like purged my whole operation system. And, and there's not, um, though, so I can point to maybe four things that, um, really ties very nicely into the propositional aspects of evangelical thinking. What, what do you have to affirm in order to be in the club? Um, and I know there, you know, I, there are probably four or five things, but we can just look at four. Um, I don't know anybody who lost all four of them at once, who's still a Christian. I mean, if you lost your view of scripture and you lost your view of the cross and you lost your view of, you know, what it means to be saved, you're probably done. You know, you're a Buddhist now. Or, but rarely do people lose all four of these kind of pillars at once um but in in you know what i guess that's 
like in my heart, in my warm, fuzzy heart here, I, I got tripped up on this stuff. And my message at the moment is like, look, look at my path. Look at the things I went through and what I figured out, the doubts I had, the anxiety I had about it. And just know that if you're going through something like this as well, um, you know, maybe I can be a point of reference or like maybe I can be some kind of indicator here that you're not a freak, that you're not, I don't think, in risk of eternal conscious torment with the devil and his angels. Um, you know, maybe you're not completely poisoned in the way I thought I was. Um, and so I don't know, maybe I, that could be my message here is like, look at my path. I'll describe what happened for me. Um, and so if you're on that path, you're in that transition yourself, know that it's okay. But you know what? Also, if you're an evangelical and you see someone else going through this, that's okay too. Like you need to understand they are experiencing a different expression of faith. And you might be light on the judgment and you might be light on the condemnation because a lot of people were not with me. Um, and it's really hard to like shrug that off later on where it's like, you know what, I <laughs> I feel like I'm closer to God than I've ever been, but I had to go through this unbelievably painful social wilderness to get through, to get there. Um, hmm. mm-hmm. Rant, rant over. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so let's, I mean, if you're up for it, let's dive into like a functional definition of if, what does it mean to be evangelical? Like, what are the actual tenets, you know, that you, you might have to yeah, believe? I'm, I'm game for it. Let's do it. Cool. Cool, cool. Um, I guess, so the, the cheapest way, the cop-out way, is to kind of look at the work of David Bivington. I mean, he's a historian. He outlines several uh, tenets here. I'm, that's great. I'm more um, concerned with contemporary American evangelical thought. Like, I, I can't tell you much about the 1800s and, and what they thought about Scripture. Um, I have enough stuff to do. <laughs> um, but for now, in Protestant America, what does it look like? It's four things. Um, one, the first thing you kind of have to embrace to be evangelical is, well, there's no other way to say it, evangelizing. Some kind of activism, a tendency towards an active expression of your faith, not a passive expression, an active expression of sharing the gospel. Um that's not just preaching that can be social action as well. And so by all means, that's, that's an amazing thing and the world needs it. Um, that's the first one. And it's the easiest one to explain is like, if you want to be evangelical, you have to evangelize. Um, so far, so good. No big deal. Um, where it starts to get a little more unique would be the regard of scripture. So the second thing would be an especially high view of the Bible. Um, and so you are going to have very distinct ideas about biblical authority, biblical inspiration, um, and really primacy of the New Testament texts. I mean, if it if it really comes down to like what David thought or what Paul thinks, eh, I'm going to lean towards the latter. Um, you know, not to downplay David, that's great Psalms, and I, I like Psalms, but um, you know, when it really comes, what does it mean? How does God view homosexuals? We're going to really focus in on Paul. Um, and so specifically on that one, inerrancy. Inerrancy is going to be a great, uh, you know, like your top tier gold standard evangelicals probably believe in the inerrancy, inerrancy of the Bible, simply meaning the Bible is without error. It is without fault in all its teachings. Okay, easy enough. 
you can get away with believing in infallibility. Um, but quite frankly, I don't know that you're a great evangelical if you believe in infallibility. You need to step it up, buddy. Um, but infallibility, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you're starting to slip. <laughs> there's all manner of, yeah. I believe in, I believe the scripture is inspired. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> there's all, there's all, all sorts of ways to sidestep it. If, uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean, infallibility, the Bible is trustworthy. It is a guide to salvation. I mean, it's it's going to accomplish such purpose in terms of leading you to God. All right, you know, that's safe. Um, you start going farther down the spectrum, and yeah, you're into like, yeah, I think the Bible is inspired. Um, it, the problem with that is, like, I, I think the Bible is inspired. I also think the Bodhisattva Charyavatara is inspired. I also think the Dhammapada is inspired. Um, the Bhagavad Gita, like there are things in here that around the world, there are scriptures that if you just have the courage to crack them open, you will see the heart of God. Um, but whoa, 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 that's, whoa, let's go easy on the, uh, the comparative religions there, mysticism for a moment. Um, <laughs> we can, we can work our way there. <laughs> <laughs> so first one, you're evangelizing second one, and especially have you the Bible, uh, the, the last two can kind of blur, um, but we'll treat them separately. Conversionism. So you need to be born again. Um, and specifically, it's, it's ideal if you can give a date and a time where you prayed the sinner's prayer. And I'm not making light of this. I'm just saying, like, that's, that's some of the fine print here is, like, you know, do you really want to risk eternal damnation? Like, it's better to have that born-again moment where— um, you know, you signed the contract, we'll say. Um, and the, the fourth one that ties very closely into that um, is, is a certain view of the atonement, is a very specific view of the cross. Um, and it's, there are a few different ways to describe it, but it's usually a specific model. It's this terrible term, the penal substitution model, the weirdest theological term out there i'm uncomfortable with it i don't know why um penal spelled with like penalty but <laughs> penal spelled like penalty but without the ty at the end blake i'm not gonna spell <laughs> it for you it's just i feel like it's inappropriate I, this is an audio podcast i felt like it was necessary <laughs> the, <laughs> it's oh great it's oh, no, a legal term flaring up um it's a legal no, term no. people <laughs> but yes christ died as a substitute for sinful humanity. Um, and the crux of it is by taking guilt onto himself, by taking your punishment. And so if you, if you were raised in Protestant America, this is probably what you believe. Um, and, and this is the trickiest one. This is the most difficult one to, to find other options for, because holy cow, you start messing with this, like you're, you're putting all your money on the fact that you're not messing with something completely sacred. You want to start messing around with like the cross. Um, you can just guarantee that you're going to have a few restless nights of fear of damnation and that type of thing. Um, so yeah, I went through that. Um, good news is there were probably five or six other models out there. Um, these are models. These are theological constructs that we came up with to explain something that we're not quite sure how it works. We're yeah. not quite sure of how the mechanics of salvation really work. Um, 
But those are the four pillars. You're evangelizing. You got to especially high view of the Bible. Um, there's a there's a born again moment conversionism, and then some kind of cross centric view of the atonement, uh, specifically God punished Jesus for our sin. Um, and so I can walk through and say what broke for me on all of those. It was something specific for each of them. Um, but a lot of the people that that I kind of have this conversation with is like, yeah, you're describing Christianity. Right. I mean, you're describing like Jesus and without those things, I, I don't recognize anything outside of, you know, the Christian faith. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And oh, my gosh, there's so much more. There's so much outside of it. There are pre-denominational views of what it means to have a relationship with God. There are Eastern Orthodox views. There were, I mean, there's so much more. But um, I guess it would be responsible for me to say you know, to the post-evangelicals out there, to the ex-evangelicals. Look, if someone is here, if they're working within these four pillars and their needs are met, their social, their cognitive, their spiritual needs are met, let them be. Like, if they have a functional relationship with God here, then don't don't be the one always trying to kick down these pillars just because you can. Um, I, I don't ever want to be that person that just constantly tears down the framework of others. What I want to do is help them expand, I don't know, to fill their space that they're in. And if or when that balloon pops, I want to be there you know, calmly sipping coffee, ready to help them find <laughs> north again. But but just, I don't know, it, it's so easy to get jaded and burnt with this. And you try to burn these structures to the ground and you have to remember people live in these structures. Um, I'm, I've got the cool scars to tell you, if you try to engage with this stuff and throw little rocks at it, people are going to take it like you're throwing rocks at their face. You're basically throwing rocks at Jesus. Um, and it's not going to get you anywhere, but just let it be. It's okay. It's a certain vehicle to use a Buddhist term in an, in a way to have a relationship with God. Okay. So that was my responsible disclaimer. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and that's and that's that's completely that's completely valid. I I mean I the this the show is a, is about exploring the things inside and outside of evangelicalism. Yeah. So I mean people, it's people don't walk straight lines with this sort of stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I think it Luther that has a has a metaphor about a drunk falling off a horse, yeah. getting yeah. back on and falling <laughs> off the other side. Yeah. You know, it's, and so, I mean, that's, that's the way a lot of us, even if we are very interested like, no matter where you are on the sort of spectrum of being highly engaged yeah. with this sort of stuff, or, um, or you're more passive about it and you're participating in a, in a more quote, casual way, uh, yeah, people, people change. Yeah. And, and so and so honestly it it's it's about giving people their due respect and so it needs to go both ways just like you just like you said i think that's a very healthy disclaimer yeah. to make you made one earlier towards <laughs> the people that are towards evangel towards evangelicals that are um that are seeing other people explore outside of christianity um that's healthy that's good yeah. and it's also if someone's not if someone's not equipped to do that not not ready, not willing to do that, then that needs to be 
you can you can bring up your perspective you can share your perspective the wonderful yeah. the wonderful thing about pluralism and about postmodernism is that it allows that and i the one thing i think yeah is that i know that in some circles like postmodernism is like a dirty word but it's like oh yeah watch <laughs> yourself but it's everybody. it's yeah it's unavoidable it's the <laughs> default it's it's the the age we live in um so it's yeah yeah if you especially if you have a, a global perspective like you said you have to adapt that sort of yeah. you have to suspend your own judgment in order to hear someone's perspective and that's valuable that's absolutely valuable and essential um and if i if if people hear this conversation and they're and their pers- their perspectives are affirmed or their perspectives are challenged if they're if they're challenged then i hope it's done in a gentle way that that prods them on to explore yeah. these things more sincerely and um it's a great disclaimer <laughs> so so um <laughs> so i do want to backtrack a little bit um yeah. and kind of yeah yeah i think this idea of um of Substitution, uh, penal substitution. <laughs> wah wah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Sad trombone. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> about about the cross. I I think that is one of the definitely one of the most essential aspects of um, of evangelicalism, and especially because it's it's like yeah. very easy. I think it's why John three sixteen is like the verse. It is the yeah, verse yeah. of, of note because it kind of fits into that model very easily for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it yeah. fits that perfectly. <laughs> and then it gives you, so it gives you the framework in which you can react through the conversion you mentioned. So, it's the under it's the underlying right. presupposition yeah, yeah. that allows you to acknowledge your sin, acknowledge that Jesus was a substitute for your sin and for all mankind's sin. Therefore, what you do in reaction to this mysterious moment in which uh G.K. Chesterton says like God was estranged from God. Yeah. You know. Right. Uh and there's these crazy mystical sort of interpretations of this moment in history. Um but this is a very straightforward one in comparison i think um yeah so what are a couple of uh what are a couple of different models um, yeah. that you've come across we don't have to go through all of them but let's just uh let's just give our listeners a a little <laughs> a little taste of what's available outside of um outside of uh the this the penal substitute <laughs> yes yes um yeah and see this is like so in terms of the four pillars this is usually the last one to go because it's like all right again you're fiddling with the mechanics of salvation what are you doing you know and this is like anyone who loves you in your life if you start exploring this stuff they should be like (laughs) what are you doing because i want to see you in heaven and why are you messing with this um so here's a few fun facts that they they don't it doesn't dispel all the anxiety but it is important to look at in terms of church councils we have never had a moment where we all got together like the council of nicaea 
or something like this and said, ah, got it. This is how atonement works. This is how messy humans are reconciled to a perfect God. Um, there's never been a consensus. And so to a certain degree, you've got some flexibility in how you fiddle around with this stuff. Um, and that sounds cavalier. I don't mean for that to be, but like the Nicene, the Council of Nicaea, all right, we, we nailed down some really specifics about Jesus and how it worked. And, and there's all these amazing stories about like fist fights and, you know, it, it, amazing reads <laughs> about what that process looked like. We've never done it with this. And so what that means is one would do well to start to explore the genealogy of ideas. And, and I understand that some of the stuff is a sacred cow. The Trinity is a great example as well. But start to reverse engineer it. Look back and say, where did this come from? Is it because it's not straight out of the Greek squiggles? Um, where did this come from? It came from Anselm. Spoiler alert. Um, but um, so look at <laughs> look at the genealogy of the ideas. Where did the doctrine of original sin come from? Augustine. Where did the Trinity come from? Boy, that's a mess. Where did um, guilt come from in the way we usually use it? Calvin. Where did this particular model of the atonement come from? Anselm in the 11th century. And so when you see it this way, that we constructed this way of explaining redemption, it starts to relativize it a little bit, just a little bit. And that's all you need to see that there are other seemingly valid models out there. And let's hit a few here. Um, and so I'm just some guy. If, if you don't believe me, check out people. I mean, I'd say <sighs> J. Denny Weaver. Um, is one who talks about a lot of about of um, a nonviolent atonement. Um, Tony Jones, Sharon Put, these are people who have done an amazingly clear job of summarizing a really complicated issue here with atonement. Um, but so the main one, the penal one. Um, it, here's here's my caricature of it, and I'm not making light, but at the same time, it just doesn't make sense to me anymore. And so here's the way I kind of see it. Um, it's coming down to, again, God punished Jesus for our sin. Um, you were, at some point, you know, you, humanity, are so broken and sinful and dirty that you can never pay back God for your sins. Um, you can never settle the balance. Um, you don't, and you never will have enough money in your bank account, whatever metaphor you want to use. And, and really, the problem here is that God is so set in God's ways that there's— there's no way God's going to forgive the debt. Someone has to pay. And so really God demanded blood. God demands blood before God is able or willing to have a relationship with any of us again. Sorry. Um, and it just doesn't make sense to me. Who would want to start a relationship on those terms? Um, but again, you, you have to take 10 steps back before you can even critique it that way. Um, so. God punishes Jesus for our sin. Um, the only type of person who could pay this debt is someone who has no transgressions himself. Luckily, someone like this appears in first century Palestine. Um, and so on the cross, God redirects and projects all of God's anger at the person of Jesus. Um, so so I mean, someone was sure as hell going to pay for the times that the law was broken. Um, and so through the murder of an innocent man, I don't know, suddenly God is satisfied and the debt is paid. Um, so now you're able to be settled up with God. 
uh, in the, the phrase you hear, you know, when God looks at you, God sees Jesus. Not you. God doesn't see Blake. God sees Jesus. Um, so again, a weird relationship out there. Um, but there's, <laughs> there's still some fine print. Yeah. Yes. Jesus paid your debt and you can be reconciled. If and only if you sign up for the bank account that Jesus deposited this money into. Um, I mean, so if you sign up for this bank account, all's going to be well. If you don't, uh, you're still kind of hosed because for some reason, God is still a little miffed about the whole situation. And God is not going to hesitate to let you spend eternal conscious torment in the lake of fire. Um, and so quick summary of it. Basically, God came to punish God's self in order to save us from the system that God had set up. Um, I don't know about you, but this to me, it's a violent complicated model that only makes sense if you force it to with several years practice. And again, I know this is sacred to people. So if it's working, keep it going. But the point here is this is, I'm actually a little encouraged. That model is slowly starting to lose some of its privilege as the only way of explaining how we can come into a meaningful, functional relationship with God. Um, and so there's probably five other models let me ramble through them. Um, something in addition to the penal substitution here. The big so when you look back in history, the probably one of the earliest models you'd see at Christus the Christus Victor model. Um, so it's called different things, the Victory model. I mean, the idea is that um, Satan or evil holds the world in captivity. Um, so we're, we're kind of prisoners to the diabolical demonic forces. Um, but when Jesus dies on the cross, he has rescued everyone from this. Um, so we're, we're now in this kind of interim time. Um, and it might not seem like he won when you look around the world. It, we're, we're almost in this awkward interim of time where the battle's been won, but we don't know it yet. Uh, Tony Jones tells the story of it's a World War II soldier that's on an island in the Philippines. And it's like 25 years after the war is over. Uh, they found this guy still standing there with his rifle. You know, To him, the war was not over. Although, like in reality, it had long since been won. Um, but, but not so for him. That's kind of where we are. That's kind of this weird interim mm -hmm. phase now um, where it's like crisis won, but we, we haven't figured it out. It's, so that's one model that doesn't work for a lot of people, but it's out there. Um, the one that does a little better, it, Peter Abelard, you might call it like the magnet theory or it's the Middle Ages. It's a theory that enjoyed prominence there. The point is that Christ went to the cross to draw us to God. Um, and it's this amazing act that is intended to be so overwhelming, you know, the act that God took a human form and was willing to suffer and die like this, that we are irresistibly drawn to the love of God. Um, so, yeah, there's still some things that work out there, but it's another model. Um, a third one, maybe, that you see in Eastern Orthodoxy, the divinity model. And it's it takes some time to wrap your head around it, but the idea is we each have within us a spark of divinity. But because of, I don't know, of Adam's sin, um, death has come to us and we've lost contact with who we really are. 
And so Jesus came to reignite that divine spark, and the cross was a part of that. Um, you see that in the Orthodox Church. The one, the, the last model here, and the one that I'm very partial to, it's Rene Girard, and you can see it. So it's mimetic theory, or you can see it's like the mirror theory. Um, and that's that when God hangs on the cross in the form of Jesus, he's reflecting back to us what our violence always does. Um, and I, I realize here, this is some of my baggage from like combat, I guess, or like my aversion to violence anymore, but it's God showing us where violence always and inevitably ends. And that is violence, religious violence, especially ends in death. It doesn't solve our problems. It doesn't reconcile relationships. It ends in death. And so Jesus was the last scapegoat, so to say. Um, and it's there to show that scapegoating like this falls short. I absolutely love this um, because it shows that that violence doesn't solve violence. Uh, there's even a line in the Dhammapada that, that uses the image of trying to clean out a wine stain with more wine. Um, this is as effective as violence is. And so um, what Jesus was exposing were kind of the powers that support the cycle of violence. Um, he's shown us that it's not supposed to be like this way. Um, there, there's a new way. And the whole point of it is what is that way? Well, it's, it's how he lived his life. It's, how, it's what he taught. It's what he demonstrated to say that this is how you are reconciled with God. This is the way you treat people. And this is the way you love your neighbor. And this is the way you forgive people. The point is not that God needed blood. Or that God needed the suffering of an innocent man before he could have a valid relationship with you again. No. Um, so that's what, four or five other theories out there. I, I know it's hard to even like approach for the first time, I think. But it opens up a whole nother element of salvation. It opens up a whole nother definition even to say that you can see this in the patristics. The incarnation itself was salvific. Divinity took on humanity. That was salvific in itself. And had Jesus stopped there, or had Jesus died of natural causes, we'd still have what we need for redemption. We still have Jesus showing us how to align our thoughts and words and deeds with the character of God. Um, so, whew, rant's over. I mean, this is just something that's like the point I'm trying to make is if you find yourself in a bit of a theological wilderness where it's like this doesn't make sense anymore. The idea that um, God came to punish God's self in order to save us from the system that God had set up. If that doesn't make sense to you, don't force it. There are, I mean, what, 1,500 years worth of other ideas we've had out there Um so let me just, holy cow, let me like drink more of my non-alcoholic bourbon here and catch my breath. What do you think? I mean, are these things <laughs> something that are even approachable to people today? Um, or are these so foreign that, you know, it, it's a lost cause? Like, no, it's penal substitution or nothing. <clears throat> I think there are a lot of, a lot of these models have a lot of resonance for for people. I I yeah. think that just as sort of 
the current expression of evangelicalism is losing influence in the overall culture. I think that's because it's sort of, I don't know how to phrase it. It's, it's shortcomings. I'm going to use that again. It's like, it's short shortcomings sort of are made, are made bare. Yeah. And one of them is the way that you, you sort of talked about. So God set up this system that was rigged so only he could do this. And he didn't really want to do it. it, it I mean, because he's angry. Like, yeah. he's angry. But right. he's also he's also loving. Um, but, you know, like, and it's really right. hard to reconcile a God that requires vengeance and one yeah. that's, that, you know, First John says God is love. You know, it's like, how do you reconcile those things? It's, it, and honestly, I think, um, I, I think that as modern contemporary Christianity kind of continues, I think it has to be able to accept these other sorts of perspectives and draw on their historical relevance. Um, because it, it will be grounded in that. The the great thing about having a 2,000-year-old faith is that you're going to find someone in that cloud of witnesses that's going to resonate with you and that is yeah. going to have a perspective that gives you a glimpse of the divine as understood through our tradition. And I think, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be said of um, the final one you mentioned, which is that God reveals the absurdity of violence, um, right. of the of the nature of it, and how what it does is it it breaks down relationships, and the part in which we are actually restored through the relationship is by the other side of the story, which is the resurrection part of the story, and when he comes back from that. That's when, um, that's part of it too. That's part of the story of the cross is that that's not the end and with, with Orthodox Christianity, so to speak. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, I, I know that there's a lot more that I'm going to have to look into too. I mean, and I think that like the cross is a mystery that will always, It'll always be something to wrestle with. There's, I don't think there will be a final word on it, and I think that's a, <laughs> I think that's a good thing to be honest. Um, so, so yeah. I, I don't know. Sorry, that was a my my rambling response to that. Um, yeah, no, no. Hey, I, <laughs> I invoke it. Um, <laughs> right, and it's. I mean, the other way, the way I've like kind of made sense of this is that these models, they're constructs. And that means, and so they appear sound and obvious to those who accept them. Uh, but in actual reality, it's an invention of a particular community, or it's an invention of a certain kind of thought community again. So if you accept it, it makes sense, and you can find scripture to support it. If you do not accept it, it will not make sense, and you will not find scripture to support it. It has nothing to do with almost God, and it has everything to do with what we bring to the table, our epistemic bias, um, and our agenda, and also, I mean, how interested we are in digging into this stuff as well. Um, so I I don't know. I never fault anybody for finding a, a certain model that's out there. Um, just realize 
it's a model. There's lots of them out there. Um, and no one holds the copyright to like the, the heavenly approved kind of version of the atonement <sighs> exclusively. <Yeah. laughs> For sure. So I want to take us in a little bit of a different direction. Now. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned that, that your experience in the Marine Corps gave you a more global perspective. You've also given, um, made mention of a couple of different scriptures from the Hindu tradition and from, I believe the Buddhist tradition. And this is something I I know about you personally. You've invested a lot of time in investigating these other traditions. Yeah. Can you, I don't even know. I don't even know how to open it up to you. Um, cause I'm honestly, you are leaps and bounds beyond me and your exploration of these things. No, I'm I, honestly, because I, uh, I mean, I've read portions of the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. I've read the life of parts of the life of Buddha. And that was part of a like Asian religion in cinema or some sort of class <laughs> like that. You know, yeah, it was right. all, an- it was ancillary to the experience. Like, <laughs> um, so anyways, I mean, you, you have a wealth of knowledge here and I want to tap it. So, um, I, I want to start just more by where you see resonance within the Christian tradition yeah. and these other, in these other traditions and right. also kind of your, your perspective about comparative religion in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really funny. Cause there's, it would normally take so much time to bridge these things at all, but actually, so the atonement is, it's the only leaping point. Um, because what is the one thing that, that keeps people from exploring other religions? It's like, well, but yeah, Jesus on the cross. I mean, you know, that's great. Buddha did his thing and, um, and Muhammad, he said some great things or whatever, but Jesus on the cross. Um, and so once the specific model of the atonement has start, started to be relativized a bit, um, you might find yourself, and like in my case, you might find yourself with a different concept of salvation. Um, and this is, so this will come across a little pluralistic. Eh, I guess if the shoe fits, I'll wear it, but that's not my agenda here. Um, where I have landed, I, I guess, um, in terms of other religions or other faith communities, um, is bridged directly by this concept of salvation that I was just talking about. Um, and that's um, what salvation means to me, is aligning oneself with the character of God. Um, and so you can even start to use the word like theosis. There's this gorgeous Eastern Orthodox and just Orthodox term out there that just means like we are becoming more like God. And if we're thinking the thoughts that God would think, and if we're doing the things that are in line with the character of God, then eventually your entire path starts to align with the character of God. Um, So far, so good. That's not too sketchy. Where I deviated, I guess, is in the idea that... um, in order to be saved, you have to have right theology. That theological precision is ultimately the entrance criteria for heaven. Um, Because that's another aspect of evangelical thinking is that everything's kind of about heaven in terms of salvation. Um, Yeah, we like the environment and, and we'll do some things to help the community. But you know what? Like one fine morning when this life is over, I'm done with this crap. I'm done with this planet because... 
I'm going to, I, I think of it as celestial retirement. I, I've <laughs> done my work. I'm done working. I'm going to enjoy the presence of God. And I, I have a big beef with this as well, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I get <laughs> Surprise. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we should, we should talk about that sometime. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's this image of, you know, no one says it, but if you embrace these four kind of ideals of the evangelical, the evangelical pillars, I guess, these are theological propositions. And so what you are saying, whether you mean to or you know it or not, is that you have to have right theology to get into heaven. And it's just this image. I mean, I've made a caricature of it, but the heavenly admittance process is St. Paul or whoever we say is actually guarding the gates, administering a short theology quiz at the reception line of the pearly gates. Because that's what this is all about, is getting into heaven. Um, and so if you didn't have a picture Bible growing up, and so you've got plausible deniability, maybe that theological quiz is true or false. You know, it's like, hey, is Jesus the son of God, yes or no, 50-50? Yeah, okay, you're in. But those who've heard this story before, it's short answer, pal. This theology quiz is short answer. It's not multiple choice. I'm sorry. Um so this is the image of heavenly admittance on the basis of propositional affirmation, saying that only by embracing correct theology does one attain salvation. Um, this has been a huge problem for me and in, in my evangelical plight, um, because I see theology as uh, the path, not the destination. The value I place in theology is the effect it has on your mind. And so if you're believing things that make you more predisposed to, I don't know, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, um, then we're on the straight and narrow. The problem is that in probably 11 out of 12 major world religions, you can find beliefs that will lead one to cultivate love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, kind of, kind of, all these things. Um, and if you don't have this kind of um, velvet rope of the penal substitution model of the atonement, then really, you have to ask yourself a question. You have to ask yourself, like, is it possible to be aligned with God? Um, is, is, is alignment with God possible through other spiritual traditions? Um, there's no way I'm going to answer that question on the record here because <laughs> to like the mail of like, I'm praying for you and I'm disappointed in you and your dad never would have said this, you know, it's just unbearable. Um, <laughs> but wink, wink, I think the answer's implied. Um, and so for me, it's a pretty easy test. Let's quote Kevin right here again, fruit of the spirit. Um, what does this theology what does this soteriology, what do the teachings of the Buddha, what do the kind of concepts in that foreign scripture, what are their fruit? Because I don't know how else to account for it when the fruit is stuff that sure looks and smells like the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I don't know. And so I'm, I will never try to talk people into this stuff because again, it, if your path is working for you, if you're drawing closer to God and if you're, you know, 
if you're aligning with the divine, then um, great. But I can tell you, it's one model. <laughs> and, and again, the, the postmodern soup we find ourselves in, you can hate it or you can accept it and work through it. But um, yeah, so that's a that's a really dodgy answer to your question about world religions. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I I think, uh, I, yeah, and and how how does an evangelical answer that? <laughs> how does how does yeah. someone even coming from evangelicalism answer that? <laughs> it's right. uh, it's tricky. It it feels like you're walking through uh, to use a to use a military picture, you're walking through a minefield. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so, sure. um, uh, but just to bring it back to something, something maybe a little practical, how have these sorts of investigations, how do you feel they've benefited you? How do you feel like you've been enriched in your pursuit of your understanding of God or of the world or the universe or however you choose to frame it at any given point. Yeah. That's, that's an ugly one because, um, so here's a short answer. It's like me personally on my path. Um, my path is, it's never been more clear. Um, and I tell you, there's, there's a lot of practices I do that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't recognize as Christian per se. Um, but again, the fruit of those help me domesticate my inner demons, and they help me become more compassionate. And it's not just that they they um, invoke these characteristics, but it makes me take responsibility for the suffering of others. And and I don't know what's more Christ-like. I'm I'm not like plugging myself here, saying like, oh man check it out. I'm just saying like for my path as nonlinear as it may seem to people, um, I've never imagined that, mm, that I could perceive being so near to the heart of God. Um, so that's, that's like the answer in terms of the social aspect of it. it it's been a nonstop, um, <laughs> It's not been fun. It's really not. Um, it, but I realize I've learned a lot of lessons along the way about like how to package this stuff to people and developmentally, like, you know, if they're in a different place and I'm in a different place, then like we can have some conversations, but we shouldn't really try to impose our structures on each other because it's not going to work and it just leads to conflict. And then, um, I don't know. So for me, spiritually, it's it's been great. Um, the, the inner demons I've worked through, I guess, since being back home and everything, I, I can tell you, like, my meditative practice is the reason I'm alive. Um, I mean, it's the reason that I'm, I'm sane. And, uh, there was just a point for me where, like, the evangelical solution, like, throw Bible verses at a problem, it didn't work anymore. Like, if you're having survivor's guilt or for anyone else who's been through trauma you know if you're having anxiety or nightmares or you feel like your soul is damaged or that like there's enough blood on your hands that there's no way you could ever have a right relationship with god um throwing bible verses at those people is not gonna work you have to do something that's much more contemplative um 
you have to talk to somebody really you have to talk to a counselor um but i don't know so so it's not been fun on the social landscape of it all um in in terms of how the majority of my evangelical friends and family responded but but at the same time i guess i should say there have been a lot of people as well that that have have loved me um and shown a healthy curiosity and and been supportive along the way as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that that's. Uh, I I think I like what you I like what you said. I like everything that you said. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, what you said about kind of a a framework or someone may not be able to fit that into their framework, and you're just in a different yeah. developmental place that is very um it's very difficult and part of part of this these sorts of conversations like the one we're having right now is because we have a common framework and even if it's even if it was just the starting point and that's really and if you feel like you've moved beyond or that's really hard to communicate to someone that's one of the oh my god it's one of the hardest things to communicate because you have to be so very specific and art- and articulate <laughs> and sometimes in a moment you can't do that uh yeah so uh so yeah, yeah. it's been there are oh my gosh there are so many issues that just I mean, they they cannot and should not be communicated and especially you start talking about the developmental angle anybody who starts to talk about themselves as like developmentally higher or more sophisticated or something Wow, you're burning a bridge right then and there. Um, it, and, and I mean, stages of development, it's so tricky to find language for this stuff. Um, Gene Gebser, there's there, like the preeminent kind of sociologist and mystic. He uses the word mutation, where it's like, I've just mutated in a different way than you've mutated in terms of developmental <laughs> stages. When it's like, oh, okay, that's yeah, that's pretty impartial. That, that, that um, feels... And gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that feels that definitely feels less uh, judgy. <laughs> yeah, we're just damaged in different ways. That's all, which actually works pretty nicely, I think. Your radiation was different than my radiation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, yeah, and uh, I yeah, and I I feel um, to go on a little bit of a tangent, even though it's related. I feel like mysticism is something that's anything related to anything remotely somewhat mystical, even if it's couched within Christian tradition, it's very yeah. hard to converse about if, if you haven't I don't either read the same texts or heard the same people speak. Yeah. Um, I'm really trying to think uh, the thing, the example I have in my mind is that the hand, the handful of books by Richard Rohr that I've read, uh, yeah. and he's one of my favorites right now. And he's, and he yeah. has kind of equipped me to sort of see things differently, uh, and, in a more positive way than I was feeling for a long time. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, I, I consider that like a redemptive work because he redeemed oh, man. he redeemed my understanding of certain aspects of Christianity and it widened yeah. it it widened my perspective and that's kind of, yeah and to me that's 
that is the what keeps the kind of curiosity going is seeing how wide yeah. how wide can can all this go what what happens <laughs> next <laughs> yeah. what happens next when, and is is god there am i there like god's god's right. probably already out there somewhere i'm just not to that point yet um right. and he'll probably just be waiting for me out there um yeah <laughs> but who knows so no a very very true point there's a there's a model I like. It's something worth googling. Spiral dynamics, and basically it's a, it's a a model of growth, and it even loops in spiritual aspects too. But instead of like A to B line that, that in the West we love to talk about, like a linear development, it just picture an upward spiral where it's like, all right, you hit a certain phenomenon or a topic or whatever, and you're you're at a certain kind of location developmentally. Give it two years, and by the time you boomerang back to that thing, it's the same phenomenon, but you're seeing it as if you're a whole new person, and you're just in a different spot. And it's this, it's this beautiful image of the spirals going up, and, um, and it makes a lot of sense to me, exactly like you're saying, where you suddenly you can re-engage with things, with scripture, with tradition, with ritual, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is like the first time I've, I've ever taken the elements. Or this is the first time I've ever read the Sermon on the Mount or something. Um, and it's, yeah, plug for mysticism right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, and it's a very, very new sort of thing that I'm, uh, I'm definitely leaning on people like you and Stephen and others that I know that have <laughs> yeah. explored it and and much, much more detail than I've gotten to yet. But I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's piqued my interest very, very much so because it, it is such a inclusive thing. And in a society where Christianity is sometimes given as the example of some, something that's very exclusive and excludes people. uh, It's kind of refreshing to see the faith that, that you were born in be, (laughs) be seen in a more positive light, be understood in a more positive light and not as some, not as something that needs to be run from necessarily. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know what? So you brought this up. This is like my last soapbox. I'm done soapboxing after this. But to me, there's a difference between being post evangelical and like maybe ex evangelical. Um, and it's the exact same thing. Like, think of the last person you saw go through a really nasty breakup. Like, that, that couple, when they engage with each other again, if they're angry, and like there's tension and it's just, you know, feral. Well, they're, they're not over each other yet. Like there's still hostility because they've not come into a good relationship again with each other. But when you see people that, you know, after a nasty breakup five years later or whatever, they're friends again, well, they've reconciled the relationship. And to me, I, I consider myself a post-evangelical. Like I don't have a beef with evangelical thought. I've completely come to grips with the role it had in my life, in my faith, in my relationships. And if you're an evangelical, like, I'm happy for you if that helps you come closer to God. I don't, you know, I don't want to burn the structure to the ground. Um, And it's exactly like you're saying. You can start to re-engage with this stuff suddenly with, I don't know, grace? I don't know. (laughs) Like (laughs) some kind of, yeah, some kind of empathy and compassion. Um, so if I have to peg myself as anything, it's like 
like a post-evangelical or like a recovering evangelical. Uh, not so much someone who's out to like nuke the thing from orbit. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but that's just No, me. yeah. And that's a, that's a, that's a healthy perspective. And you know, um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great way to, to, to be able to frame yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, okay, that's it. No, no more sip glasses for me. I'm, I'm depleted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Is there anything else you want to, yeah. anything else you want to touch on? I, I think we, oh we, gosh. we've uh, really packed a lot into this. So I'm, <laughs> I mean, no, I, yeah, I better call it quits. I'm, I'm just, I'm so grateful for this, for your, your project, um, because there are people, and I could name you the names, who've, keep, to keep the analogy going, who've waded through this wilderness, who've, who've made it through this wilderness, um, and they've come out of it thinking they lost their faith. They come out, they come out of it thinking that they're damaged and that they'll never have a good relationship with God again because the cross doesn't make sense and because scripture like they can't literally affirm that Methuselah was 969 years old. I, I can't affirm that anymore. Um, and so I'm going to hell. Like, no, there's so much more. Um, and I, I want to be someone who's there to help people like kind of, it's like jumping out of a moving car, man, like someone to just help them tuck and roll and like <laughs> nail the landing at some point. Um, so I don't know if there's ever anything I can do to anyone who's listening or to, you know, any of the other guests or anything like that. Um, hit me up. Uh, let's talk. Um, I'll do whatever I can. Yeah. And uh, I can absolutely affirm that Kyle is a very giving person and he will, he, he will be true to his word. Um, where can people find you online, Kyle? Um, so I'm like, I'm just coming out of my cave now, like in a writing career. And so I'm trying to get the, the side up. I'm trying to get this stuff up and running at kyleparton.com. I guess we'll do it. Um, yeah. Plug it, man. It, plug it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. That's where you need to be. Um, get your shirt, get your t-shirt, get your keychain. No, no. So, and there you can find whatever. If you want to see my sense of humor, get me in trouble. You can find me on Twitter there. Um, if you want to see my inflated professional achievements, you can see me on LinkedIn. Um, what I'd love to do is, you know, I mean, I have a Facebook page too. I, I just love to engage with people in their, their crazy thoughts on this type of thing. Um, so hit me up on the Facebook page. I don't know. Follow the blog, get my free developmental propaganda. Um, <laughs> and, and let's just talk. I don't know. I mean, let's let's walk the path together. And uh, what what about your your publishing project, Epiphany Publishing? Talk a little bit oh. about that. Yeah, that's so that thing. Um, yeah, so that's fun. It's it's like this scrappy kind of um, publishing company. That's you know, if if there are people who who write, uh, who've got a, a message, I guess that's transformational, something that's that ties on any of these themes. Um, hit us up epiphany publishing.us i mean check us out um send us a manuscript we would love to read it i'm reading this stuff constantly <laughs> good and bad manuscripts just just constantly 
<laughs> and and if there's something that you think would be a catalyst for change on any of these topics, I mean, hit us up, um, and and we'll start a dialogue and see what makes sense. And maybe I don't know, maybe we could be a platform for you, um, if it's a voice that would have the, the the impact that you know could help people kind of align with God or, or otherwise catalyze them along their path. That's great. Thanks very much, Kyle, for joining me. I had a great time yeah. talking. Yeah.